Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. All right, would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and Maybe you can pull out your notes that you got when you came in. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along with today. But Mark chapter 5. And would you guys say it with me that today is a good day? Will you say that? One, two, three. Come, oh my goodness. Brendan Wrench, I expect to hear that booming man voice all the way up here. One more time. You guys ready? Today is a good day. That's better. All right. Hey, I want to tell you guys that this is a... a, a, a an exciting time. I love what the Lord has said, that we've had an exciting 10 years, and what is God preparing us for in the next 10 years? Amen? How many of you know that God has a good next 10 years in store for the church? How many of you believe, come on, come on. How many of you will have faith in Christ? And how many of you know that the Bible says that I know the things I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a hope and plans for a future. And so though that was for a specific audience at a specific time, the principle carries over that God has good things in store for us. This isn't a part of my message, but I, I, I feel like we need to really reinforce that. God has good things in store for this church. Amen? Amen. All right, Mark chapter 5. Hey, I really want to encourage you the next two weeks. I would ask that you would pray for me and my family next week as we speak in, uh, in Austin. I know that's a, a kind of a tough thing to ask the current church to pray about the future church. But this is more like someone in our church uh, said to me when we met, they said, we're so excited to send you as a missionary to Austin. And I thought, I'll claim that. I get to still be a part of Grace Hill and just go as a missionary to Austin. It's a part of central Austin, in the middle of the city uh, that, is, that needs Jesus. Amen? They need Jesus. So I'm asking you to pray for me. And then over the next two weeks, if you'd pray for Ryan and Lauren DeBose as they prepare to be the pastors of Grace Hill, potentially as, as, as the Lord would, would lead. So uh, those things right there. Let me ask in the room today, how many of you in here, you like coffee? Any coffee drinkers in here? Raise them up high. Raise them up high. All right. I found this mug this week that maybe you need to go and buy. This mug right here says this, Lord, give me patience, and I mean right now. <laughs> or, or as I was looking up on this whole timing matters, on the timing of God, I found this other statement that I think, I think really some of you in here can fully embrace. And here's what it says. Lord, give me, Lord, please give me patience because if you give me strength, I'm going to need bail money to go with it. How many of you ever thought that right there? If you give me strength, God, I'm going to need some bail money to go with it. How many of you in this room, you've ever been impatient? Raise your hands up one more time. And if you've ever been impatient, I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say, "Uh uh-huh. Patience. Patience is love for the long haul. Patience is bearing up under difficult circumstances without giving up. 
patience is bearing up under difficult circumstances without giving in to bitterness. Patience means that we continue working on our marriage, in our career, in our calling, in our purpose, that we continue working when gratification is delayed. Patient means that we are taking what life offers, even if that means suffering without lashing out. Patience. And sometimes when life puts the screws on us and it tightens things down and we are feeling the pressure, we run out of patience before we even realize it. The people around us realize it, but we don't even realize it in those moments. There was a bishop that died during the Reformation in the mid-1800s, and he wrote a book called The Book of Common Prayer. And in this, he said this about patience. It was a prayer that you you read that prayer and you begin to pray that back to the Lord. But it says, grant that we may follow the example of Jesus's patience. And it's particularly striking that he wrote that because that prayer was to be prayed during the week leading up to Easter. Dear God, that we may fellowship and be a part and be patient the way Jesus was patient. Because Jesus, as he was leading up to his execution, was incredibly patient. Jesus, in dealing with his enemies who hung him on the cross, was incredibly patient when he prayed, hanging on the cross, beaten and mocked and spat upon. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they do. Or, Jesus was incredibly patient in his dealings with people and throughout his life and his disciples throughout his life. And today we're going to deal with one of those passages that deals with the topic and helps us to learn the topic of patience. And in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, here's what it says. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered around him. And he was by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Now I want you to picture this. Jairus is a man of authority. This is a man who when he walks into a room, he's one of the rulers of the synagogue. When he walks into the room, people stand up and kind of nod to him. That when he walks into a room, he commands authority because of his position, but probably because of his also his intelligence and his eloquence and all of those things as well. And yet Jairus walks walks up to Jesus and it says that he fell at his feet. He falls at the feet of a carpenter's son. which is a very unusual event, meaning it's probably a desperate situation. Verse 22, it says, when he fell at his feet, he pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. And what we really, I want us to capture, we're going to read a a bunch of verses and we're going to make sure we're understanding them as we go. It's very clear, but I want you to capture some of the nuance as we're going through this. So really what it's saying is his daughter is as good as dead. She's dying. 
And basically, unless Jesus gets there and prays for her, that she will die. And Jairus is even afraid that they're going to get there too late. So he's pleading with him, saying, my daughter's dying. Please come, please come, please come. And so it's this moment of of really intensity. And so with the pressing of Jairus, the dad, that Jesus and his disciples began to follow him to his house. And because the crowds had heard Jesus teach, because they had seen the miracles, because they had felt the power and the authority when he taught, they are following him closely, gathering around him because they want to see another miracle. They want to be a part of that. And that's what's going on. And now it says the large crowd followed him and pressed around him. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years and had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. So the lady had suffered with an illness for 12 years and had been under the doctor's care for 12 years. And not only was she suffering from the disease, we see here she's suffering from the cures. That at times the cure is as bad as the disease and she's suffering from both and she's walking now in this moment of her life broken, bankrupt, out of options, suffering from doctors and disease. Verse 27, it says, when she heard about Jesus, I want you to capture this, that this could give us an implication that she's not even a believer yet. That she's not even a follower of Jesus yet and that it says that when she heard about Jesus... Not when she heard Jesus was in town, but she heard about this guy who was doing miracles. This guy who, when he taught, he had authority. In fact, the one place in the Bible, it says Jesus taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. So it's like, you know, it's like me referencing an astrophysicist. I would have to say that, you know, Dietrich said such and such. It wouldn't be like in my studies of astrophysics, I came to realize this. It wouldn't be like one of authority. It would be like the teachers quoted someone else and Jesus taught as someone who had authority. So she's saying, hey, there's this guy who does miracles. He teaches like he has authority. I mean, there's power there. So it says when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That if she had been sick for 12 years, chronic illness, she would know if she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Now look, you've heard the story before. You've maybe even still seen it illustrated in a drama. But Jesus The crowd is pressing around him. The woman touches him, and Jesus realizes that healing power has gone out of him. Everybody say power. The word Mark uses here is the word dunamis, and it's the first time that Mark uses this word in this book. And that same word is like this, it's power, but it's almost like explosive power, like bam. It's where we get our, our, our cultural word, our contemporary word, dynamite, explosive power, dunamis. And that this explosive dunamis power had flowed out of Jesus and he realizes it. 
And this is the same word that is used 10 times in the book of Acts alone. Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 9. It's used 10 times throughout the scripture regarding the Holy Spirit's power. Verse 30. Jesus turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? All right, I want you to capture this. I want you to capture both the kind of how abstract it felt to the disciples and how pointed it felt towards the woman. As he's walking, the crowd is around, they're talking, there's some festive feel. Jairus is nervous, the disciples are waiting to see a miracle, trying to get him there. He stops and he turns around and he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, hey, how can you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. The disciples are thinking, Jesus A bunch of people have touched you. And he says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told Jesus the whole truth. I love that. In fact, underline that phrase, told him the whole truth. I love this, that when Jesus had found the person who tapped into his power, tapped into his healing power, he had them tell him the whole truth, the whole story. So that is a powerful moment, but I want us to to think Jesus is pausing. Now let's go back to Jairus. Jairus is wanting to hurry because if Jesus can just get there before my daughter dies, he can heal her of this fever or of this illness. I've got faith to get him there and then Jesus can heal the sickness. And Jesus is pausing and Jairus is like, can you imagine his anxiety? And then as Jesus kept pressing his anger, as he's thinking, what is going on here that this woman has a chronic condition? She has a condition that's reoccurring. She has a chronic condition. And my daughter has an acute condition. And you never choose to treat chronic before you treat acute. And yet Jesus stops to talk with the lady with the chronic illness. And that's irrational. It's improbable. And probably today we would have a lawsuit for malpractice. Because you don't treat chronic prior to treating acute. Jairus and the disciples are thinking, what's Jesus doing? I mean, this little girl needs help now. Doesn't Jesus understand the situation? How many of you have ever said that to God? Maybe you weren't quite so bold, but you're like, okay, God, why aren't you answering my prayer the way I want it answered when I want it answered? Come on, how many of you have ever thought that to God? And how many of you have ever been bold enough to say it in your prayer? God, why aren't you answering this? Imagine that's what Jairus is feeling times a hundred because his daughter's life hangs in the balance. Jesus is composed and he's calm and he's talking to this lady and he's patient. But Jairus is saying, doesn't he understand? The disciples are like, Jesus, Come on. But I want you to understand that there in that moment and here in our moment, that Jesus will not be hurried into our timeline. Jesus is patiently talking with the woman with the issue of blood. And then it happens. That thing that any father would fear and Jairus in this moment is fearing, it happens that his daughter passes. 
And it says this in verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking to the lady, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? But overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is saying to Jairus, patiently and composed and calmly, he's saying, hey, trust me, just be patient. And I can picture on the inside Jairus with tears streaming down his face on the inside saying, be patient, what? My daughter just died. Do you feel the emotion of the moment? Guys, every culture, every family has a different concept of time. That my dad had a very strict curfew. And I remember on the night that I graduated high school, so I'm 18 years old. Some of you are going to crack up at this. He pulls me aside. I've still got my robe on from graduation. Greenville, Texas, the fighting lions. Terrible to every sport back then. We were terrible. And I remember my dad grabbed me by the shoulders and he said with his deep conviction, Michael, I want you to know you're a man now. And I was like, ah, I'm a man. He goes, your curfew is now 11 p.m., son. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a man. I don't need a curfew. 11 p.m. Okay, it was 10.30, so I'm like 30 minutes more a man now. But for my dad, if curfew was 11 p.m., that didn't mean 11.05, it didn't mean 11.03, it didn't mean 11.01. In fact, 11.01, that was grounds for grounding. And so if my dad said 11 p.m., it meant no later than 11 p.m., and that means like you're in the door, car locked, I mean a door locked, ready for bed at 11 p.m. That's what my dad meant. But then what about other, or then I interned at a church in South Dallas that if we had a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning, that meant that you're in the meeting room ready to go at 7.50 a.m. Ten minutes early, that meant you were on time. And so I come from a history that I've swayed from a little bit that like the, the time you meet, you're there or early, absolutely. So other families and other cultures and other people have different concepts of time that for us, 11 meant 11, but some say, okay, 11 means 11.15 or 7, uh, I mean, 8 a.m. means 8.15, 8.20 a.m. And so can you imagine that if my dad was meeting with someone who was like a little more flexible on the time, so my dad's there at 8 a.m., 8.20, they kind of wander in. Can you imagine the awkwardness of the moment? He's like, hey, I've been waiting for 20 minutes. And they're like, hey, it's just... Just 820, what's the big deal? We all have a different concept of time. Who in here is early? You're at the meetings there, you want you're you're exact that that's you. Come on, anybody here? Anybody struggle the other way that like eight really means like 815, 830, hashtag Brendan Rich. Do what? Did you say? I'm I'm picking on one of my good friends. But I want to tell you this before we go any further. (laughs) That God is never on our time. And I want to say this really, really clear. That God's sense of timing will confound our sense of timing. Period. 
God's sense of timing will confound our sense of timing every time. That God's grace rarely operates on our schedule. (laughs) And so we're saying, God, where are you? Where are you? Jairus is saying, are you kidding me? Trust you, just believe my daughter died. And when Jesus looks at Jairus and just says, be patient, he's really looking at all of us throughout the course of history, and he's saying, trust me, remember that I calm the winds and the waves and the storm, and that you need to remember that my grace is compatible with you going through storms, that my love is compatible with you experiencing delays. You capture that today? That we want... We think that something tough happening is really, man, God, where are you? God's absent. And God's saying, my grace is compatible with you going through difficulty. And that my love, if my power is omnipotent, and if I am omniscient and all-knowing, if I am those things, then I know more, and I I know what you need to go through before you even go through it, and I'm giving you the grace to do it, whether you see it or not. That God's love is compatible with us going through delays. But many of us, many of us want Jesus to hurry. We want Jesus to hurry. With Jesus, it's not, it's not this. I will not be hurried even though I love you. With Jesus, it is, I will not be hurried because I love you. And that if we try to impose our sense of schedule and our sense of timing on God and on his timing, you will struggle to feel loved by God. Because his grace does not work in our timeline and his schedule is not our schedule. Guys, we have to be patient with God. And I'm sure that you're like me at times. And I'm like Jairus at times, that sometimes we think God is pausing irrationally and inordinately. That we think God is delaying uh, subjectively and we're wondering what the deal is. And I just want to say this today, patience. Patience. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down a few things with me. Number one, Jesus gives us what we actually need. He gives us what we actually need. So we're beginning in verse 37. It says this. Jesus did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, he saw a commotion, people crying and wailing loudly. So I want you to picture this. For us culturally, that when we go to funerals, sure, we cry, but we fight to keep it in a bit, right? That, that for us culturally as a whole, we're, we're a little more reserved and we hold it in and maybe then we cry privately. But publicly what we do is we keep that in a bit more. It's just the, the way we do it. But you need to understand the culture of the day. If they says they were weeping and wailing and they were crying loudly, it was probably this unrestrained wailing 
Part of it was the emotion of the moment. Part of it was the, the openness of the culture. And part of it was also part of who they were. And so really when they're wailing, it would be like literally, ah! Have you ever felt like that before? And so can you imagine the neighbors, the aunts and uncles, the other synagogue rulers, and many of them wailing in sorrow. Wailing in sorrow. And Jesus walks in. He walks into that moment. And it says this, that he went into this and said, why all the commotion? Why all the welling? The child's not dead, but she's asleep. And they laughed at him. And I wonder if it was like a belly laugh or it was a scoff. I bet it was a scoff. Of course they would laugh at him. Why would they not laugh at him? Because they're already mourning. The little girl's dead. Life has passed from her body. It says in verse 40 that after Jesus put them all out of the room, he took the father and the mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha koom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were all astonished. Can you imagine what it would be like if that were to happen today in our midst, that we would be all astonished? That Jairus was asking for the healing from a fever or an illness, not a resurrection. But when we go to Jesus for help, you get far more than you could have ever imagined in your mind. But when you go to him for help, you give him far more than you had planned to give. Because God doesn't want part of our life, he wants all of our lives. You see, Think of this, Jairus, Scott, Jairus had enough faith to get Jesus to his house, not for the resurrection. Jairus had enough faith that if you can just, you can heal illness, I don't know, I mean, death is far too much. And so Jairus was having just enough faith to get him there. And Jesus was saying, I want all of your faith. I want every part of you. I want all that you have because I am greater than anything you could have ever imagined. You capture that? Jairus was ready enough to give him enough the faith that he could heal. Jesus is saying, I want all because I can resurrect I want you to go back. What about the woman with the issue of blood? What about her? She wanted to touch and run. She wanted, boom, get her healing and get out. Boom, let me get a touch from God and get out. She may not have even been a believer yet, but she wanted this physical healing. And so God gives us what we actually need. And so here's the deal. For her to be trembling when Jesus said, hey, who touched me? It's because she could get in trouble culturally for touching a rabbi when she's ceremonially unclean with this bleeding issue. But instead of letting her go to get in and get out, just to get a touch of God and get out, he causes her to go public. Why? Because she needed it. 
Instead of faith that was hidden, instead of faith that was even superstitious, not a believer, not understanding, just, if I just touch him, I get in and out. Instead of those things, instead of carrying the shame of her past and no one knowing that she's whole, he has her profess her healing to everyone. Instead of thinking that she could just manage the power of God, he has her confess, hey, there's no way to control this, that I am far more than you could ever imagine, that his power is unmanageable. And at this point, it wasn't about being subtle, but it was about a life transformed How many of you know when you sense the presence of God and you feel the presence of God and you encounter the presence of God, it is not just for that moment. It is to be a pivot moment in your life to cause you to go deeper in your relationship with him. That if in that moment all she would have gotten was the healing, she would have missed the greater point of the touch of God. Does that, you capture that? If all she got was the healing, she would have missed the greater point. And so let me kind of bring it home that if we're here and we're worshiping and me and Doug are worshiping the Lord and God speaks to us and we feel his power and a tear comes down and we feel something on the inside and if all we got was that touch in the moment, we're missing the greater point of God working in our hearts. Does that make sense? That he speaks to us in the moment and ministers to us in the moment and heals her issue in the blood of the moment. But it's not just for then. It's for the rest of her life to move her forward with him. Does that make sense? That he's saying that I have far more than you could ever imagine, but I'm asking far more of you than you ever thought you would give. I'm asking far more than you ever thought you would give. Because God isn't looking for compartments of our life. He's looking for every aspect of our life. And he stops in the moment of an acute need with a little girl. And he stops and he talks with the woman with the issue of blood. Because she needed a life transformed more than she needed physical healing. Matthew 5, 33 and 34, it says that she told the whole story to Jesus. And then Jesus says to her, go and be freed from your suffering. And when there is a life transformed, we go in the freedom of God. So he gave her what she really needed, a life transformed. Number two is that Jesus gives us answers when we need to know the answer. I want us to think about Jairus just for a moment, that he asked Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Jesus delays, the daughter dies. But I want us to understand that we get to see the things that Jairus didn't in the moment. Jairus thought they were delaying for no good reason, that he didn't have all the facts, though. That he didn't know that one lady's life would be transformed. He didn't know that his daughter who died, but Jesus would actually raise her to the, from the dead, which the truth is, is a whole nother level of faith. It's one thing to think, oh, my daughter's got a sniffle and she's sick and oh, God can heal that. But when my, my daughter has, has cancer, it's a whole nother level of faith. Jairus didn't have all the facts going into the moment. For us, if we ever feel like God is delaying, 
for us, if we ever feel like God is being unreasonable, we would never say that publicly, but that's how we feel. If us, if we ever feel like God is, is, is not doing what we want to do, we ever feel like his grace or his help or his love or his healing isn't coming soon enough, it's because we don't see the full picture yet. We don't see the full picture yet. Not yet. One day, one day, one day we're going to see it, but not yet. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say with passion, one day, Oh, come on, guys. Come on, guys. I, oh, come on, guys. I know that this isn't normally how I preach, and this is not normally what I ask you to do, but I'm asking you to look at your faith, your neighbor with faith, and I want you to say, one day. There we go. One day, just not yet. We don't have all the information yet. One day, just not yet. And God is teaching us things before we ever even know that we need to know them. In an overly simplistic analogy, we're playing checkers and God's playing chess. That we're seeing the right now and God is seeing the yesterday, the today, the tomorrow. He's seeing the whole picture and he knows and we don't know it yet. And if we have to wait in Western culture, we tend to want to manipulate things for our end, even God. That if we're impatient, we want to maneuver things for our outcome because that's what we do, that we're winners, that we are, we're, we're number one, that we've all got our participation medals, that we all are winners. And so we want to manipulate things to our end because that's how we want to do. Guys, uh, this whole manipulation thing, I love my wife, and if she kicks the bucket, God forbid, I'm done. Uh, there's no more dating, no more marrying because, man, the dating scene is I mean, it's just like everybody plays games, right? So if you're single, I am praying for you. I am rooting for you. I am cheering for you. Literally, I pray for the singles in our church. Lord, give them what they want and what they need. Lord, bless them and strengthen them. But I don't want to go through it because what you see in relationships is like something's not working out in your favor. And what do you do? You try to manipulate it to get the upper hand in the relationship. None of you have ever done that. But I'm just talking about people do that, right? And that's what we try to do with God. And look, there may be crucial factors that we don't yet know or have access to. And so as we are feeling impatient, the answer is not to try to maneuver for our benefit. Instead, it's the same answer that Jesus gave Jairus. Hey, just trust me. It's okay. Have faith. Believe. Jesus gives us the answers we really need, and he gives them to us in the timing in which we need them. And then this is something really that I, I, I want to clarify, is that Jesus gives us the answers that we, he, Jesus helps us to really know. In other words, no questions, no doubts. He helps us to know that we know that we know. So I think it, I used to think it was odd that when Jesus walks into the room and he says, ah, oh, she's just sleeping. I mean, Renee, I mean, she's just sleeping. She's dead. Life has passed. And Jesus just walks in. He goes, hey, guys, what are you, what's the commotion? She's asleep. 
I always thought that was odd until I began to understand this passage a little more. And I think you get clarification as you read it. Jesus looks at the little girl and he says, Talitha. Talitha is basically a diminutive term of endearment that someone older or over says to someone younger or under. And so it would basically be like me going to my daughters when they're little girls and they're still like little bitty and they you know, are, are enthralled with mommy and daddy and me looking at McKenna and saying, honey, Hey, honey, that would be what it is. And so it's Talitha is basically a term of endearment that a mom or dad would say to their child, meaning honey. And then he says Talitha Koom, which means arise or get up. So he didn't say, come back to life. He says, hey, hey, get up. So basically, Jesus is saying what any parent possibly said to their little children this morning as he got them up for church and just says, hey, honey, it's time to get up, honey. It's time to get up. And what Jesus is saying to Jairus, he's saying this, I told you to trust me, I told you to believe, because if I have you by the hand, even death is nothing more than sleep to me. So you have these moments that are so gut-wrenching and you have these moments that are so challenging and you have these circumstances that have you worked up and Jesus is saying, hey, be patient, trust me, because I've got death that is nothing more than sleep to me. And if I've got you by the hand and I can handle the arch enemy of humanity, if I can handle the worst thing for mankind, which is death, and I can say it's nothing more than sleep, honey, get up. If I've got that by the hand, then how much more do I have your sick situation? If I have that circumstance, how much more do I have your circumstance? If I have that life event, how much more do I have your life event? And you notice, I want you to capture this. I want you to capture. So picture this. McKenna dozes off in Sunday service because she's heard her daddy preach for 19 years. (laughs) And she loves her daddy so much. I mean, it's just like a soothing, you know, it's like a soothing baritone. When I say her voice, she just relaxes. She's up here like just giving me the side eye. Like, But imagine me sitting here. She dozes off in service and me going, honey. It's time to get up. Hey, babe, it's time to get up. That's what Jesus said in that moment. And I want you to picture this. Picture this. He's showing Jairus, hey, be careful. Calm down. And if Jesus is so powerful, and if Jesus is so loving, and if Jesus is so compassionate, and Jesus is so thorough and faithful to handle that situation and to treat us so tenderly, why would we ever be impatient with someone who treats us like that? And I want you to capture. He just goes, Talitha Kaum, hey honey, get up. He didn't have to go, in Elizabethan English, thus saith the Lord. Lord, oh God, start yelling and screaming and talking. I mean, he just said, hey, Talitha Koam, honey, get up. 
Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. Why? Because Jesus is life. Why? Because Jesus is our power. Why? Because Jesus is our source. Why? Because Jesus is those things. He didn't have to work it up from something else. He is that. And if that is the same Jesus who treats us so tenderly and is so powerful, why would we ever be impatient with God? Are you following me today? What a powerful moment. I don't understand all the situations that happen in life. I don't. Theologically, I don't have all of that figured out in my head, in my mind, in my heart. I don't. But I also know that I don't have all the facts yet. And there's things over time that I used to stress over that now I feel so much peace about. And there's things now that I'm I stress over, but I know one day I'm going to look back. Now I see the bigger picture of God at work. And I'm learning. Guys, I've told you this several times recently. I told you I'm learning how to be a friend. I'm learning how to love and be loved. I'm learning how to put more than just the pastor face on and be actually be in relationship. And I'm also learning how to be at rest with things that I can't control. Because ultimately I trust the one who is in control. And that's what I want to tell you is be patient through the circumstances of your life where God doesn't seem to be on your time schedule. Does that minister to your heart today? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God. And we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.